Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Tuesday, February 21st, 2017, more or less 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And today's show is, Do HIV Drugs Really Save Lives? How can we tell? Well, as always, since it is, well, science we're talking about, we can always look at the science. So to give you a little background on AIDS, uh, I was there, front row seat, at the AIDS epidemic epicenter. So there I was sitting in a chair in medical school in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, when we were told the shocking news that there was an illness sweeping the nation, spread by sex that could make you drop dead, a horrible, agonizing death that happened over a period of years. Not very many, as a matter of fact, maybe three to five years. And therefore, everyone had to cease all sexual activity immediately and use a condom, even with your marital partner slash spouse, because, of course, nobody could be trusted. The disease was so deadly, so serious, that one could not possibly risk a sexual encounter uh, unprotected by condoms. Now, of course, uh, no allowance was made, like, well, what if you're trying to get pregnant? Well, of course... That was also, if you will recall, the inception and popularization of in vitro fertilization. And so this was a uh, really just a devastating announcement for me to hear as a uh, you know 24, 25-year-old. And I said, oh, my God, this is just terrible. 
But of course, we had to wait. We were told this is all that was known. We had to wait, and more information would become available. But this was definitely a disease, uh, even though it was sexually transmitted, that predominantly affected males. And they couldn't decide if it was homosexual males or Jewish men on chemotherapy. And it, had, it was characterized only at that time by a rash and um, weight loss and a low CD4 count and, of course, ultimately death in not very many years. So um, this is back in 1982, 83, and here we are now, 2017, uh, you know, several decades later, and AIDS has not swept the nation. The death rate from AIDS is less than the death rate from car accidents, and just about none of the predictions have come true. So the next question then since the prediction was so off-base, was so off-target, is the treatment for AIDS any more effective or on-target? Remember, the initial definition of AIDS was simply um, rash, weight loss, and low CD4 count, plus or minus opportunistic infection. An opportunistic infection is an infection that happens because the person's immune system is weak, it's an infection that would not be deadly in a person whose immune system is functioning properly. So we doctors were told this was caused by a virus, the um, human immunodeficiency virus, and the disease is called AIDS, which is acquired immune deficiency syndrome. All right. Now, fast forward to 2003. So 2003, there was this group called ACT UP. And in the interim, AIDS had been redefined or, or further defined as a disease of bisexual and predominantly gay men. And so these men formed a group called ACT UP. And these were uh, homosexuals who were affected by AIDS but who were very angry because they believed that the drugs they were being given for AIDS were destroying them. And so there was a disease called, or a syndrome, called lipoid necrosis. That means you lose all of your subcutaneous fat and your face just becomes totally grotesque. So it's just basically a male distribution of subcutaneous fat making you look pretty ugly and prematurely old. And so this was defined or finally acknowledged to be a side effect of many HIV medications. And um, there were the usual lawsuits and compensations and so on. And so what came out of this 2003 uh, event, of course, was a redefinition of AIDS. If you look up AIDS now, you'll find that lipoid necrosis is included as part of the disease syndrome. Okay, but we have to backtrack a bit um, in 93. I was in medical practice from 1990 to 2000. And uh, as I've mentioned before, every year I would slip down to the medical library, get a copy of the um, top 10 causes of, of death in New York State, which is where I practice, and also in the United States, um, to see what was going on, what was trending, what I needed to be prepared for, and um, help my patients avoid. And so... Um, AIDS failed to make the top 10 
at all in any year. This is unusual when you think that you've got a disease that uh, has no cure, uh, there's nothing that can kill this virus, and uh, it's spread by sexual contact. I mean, that would be like having gonorrhea with uh, no penicillin, more or less, or just no known uh, remedy. Nevertheless, the death rate was curiously low from this uh, devastating disease. So let's take a look at the um, statistics that the United States uh, Medical Industrial Complex itself has gathered to help us understand what is going on. Okay, so one place uh, to start would be a look at the AIDS, that means immune immunodeficiency syndrome, how many people got this uh, AIDS disease. So what we find then is the number of people with AIDS was extremely low, of course, when you start out. Then as things progressed, uh, more and more people got diagnosed. So prior to 1980, there really wasn't any awareness, or it hadn't been defined. Of course, there was no AIDS. So 1983, we noticed a little bit of AIDS. And what they're uh, measuring here is the prevalence. So how many people had, uh, had AIDS? And so this number goes from zero, and it keeps going up and up and up until 1990. And in 1993, uh, the peak number is 200,000 people, supposedly. Or let's call it 200,000 units. But mysteriously, so in 1993, the definition of AIDS is altered. It's changed. They changed the definition. So we didn't change the organism. There's no no change in the test or anything. The definition of AIDS has changed. And what happens? All of a sudden, the number of people with AIDS plummets. It literally drops to uh, half of what it was. So from 1993 to 2000, you believe this latest year with which they give uh, information, the frequency of AIDS uh, just drops to half. Now, this is... uh, you know, shocking because, of course, scientifically speaking, right, you have a, a virus, you have a test for the virus, it's all objective, it's not subjective, and the virus is either there or it's not. I guess that's the attractiveness of science, you see, is that it's very clear, it's so cut and dried, you know, it's either yes or no answer. It's not this gray area called maybe, and even if there is a gray area called maybe, then, of course, with uh, disclosure, you have all well, this many people are yes for AIDS, this many people are maybe for AIDS, and these people have don't have AIDS. But no. So once the definition of AIDS is changed, then boom, the number of folks have it uh, drops, drops in half, drops from 300,000 units to 
150,000. But something else happens. Along with um, this change in definition. Is we see a decline in the death rate. The death rate drops from a high of 110,000 units down to 80,000 units. Again, this is uh, the year 2000. Now, I don't know why there's 80,000 units because, of course, 80,000 people a year are not dying from AIDS. So um, they're using some kind of creative units here, but we'll go with that. You know, we're cool. So what happens then if we change the definition, the amount of people infected plummets by 50%, and the death rate um, plummets from, again, 110,000, uh, I'm sorry, 150, 170,000 down to 80. Again, it falls in half as well. So just by changing the definition. So what this tells you then is we actually have a different disease. So the disease that was being counted prior to 93 is a totally different disease from what was being counted after 93. And what else is going on? Well, we have something called prevalence. That means how many people are infected and living. So the number of people infected and living goes from zero in 1982 uh, up to pretty close to 300,000 in uh, the year 2000. So this is, this is huge. And so the other thing that happened when the definition was implemented was all of a sudden the number of people catching AIDS from um, intravenous drug use plummeted, from uh, homosexual activity plummeted, but the number of people getting AIDS from heterosexual contact just kind of smoldered and leveled off. And so what we see here then, you can almost say it's a political targeting of heterosexuals. In other words, the people who uh, have sex with people of the opposite sex. And so the only thing that happened in 93 was that the disease was redefined. And prior to that, there was this runaway uh, elevation in, in the uh, amount of people who are diagnosed with having uh, AIDS, the disease itself, and the prevalence of AIDS was going up, 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 while the death rate was going down, 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 down. Now, what this means then, as we know we've now redefined the disease, so now we're looking for a different disease here, is the definition of AIDS has been changed to identify people who are essentially healthy or a greater number of people who are essentially healthy. So let's take a look at something else. Because I always want to take a look at, well, geez, you know, you get the intervention, which is, well, let's call it therapy. Then you have the results. Well, let's call it a death rate, improved or not. Let's just uh, take a look. And this, by the way, this is the CDC. The, The CDC's graph, it's their own graph, you know, I don't, I don't, don't make accusations. I just uh, take confessions here. Okay. So those of you uh, who are not in the chat room, you can join the chat room. It's healingwithdrdaniels.chetango.com. 
And we have here the CDC's own stats on the definition. And so what we have then is progression of AIDS to death. And this is how many months it takes people to die. And um, they don't even have a year for this. How non-scientific. And so they found with people with no therapy and one drug therapy seem to die in the same number of time, which is, well, nine months. People who have two drug therapies supposedly um, Number of patients progressing. Progression of AIDS and death. Okay, so they're not, they're not measuring death here. They're measuring progression, progression or death. So we can just talk about progression and even death. So they're saying is people who took triple drug therapy did not progress. And over a period of 15 months, that's not long, it's a year and three, and three months, 5% who took triple drug therapy um, did not show any worsening of their disease. People who took two drugs, 20% showed worsening of their disease, which means 80% did not. And people who took no drug therapy, very interesting, um, they did about as good as the people who took apparently two drug therapy or one drug therapy. In other words, about 20, 20 to 25% of them progressed and they stopped their graph at nine months. I guess they stopped counting. Or maybe those people were intimidated into taking drugs. And so basically what you're looking at is someone having a 95% chance of being healthy at the end of 15 months versus uh, a 75% chance of being healthy with no therapy. And if you take a difference between 75 and 95, that would be 20%. And... Um, that means, literally, that you're treating 100% of people, and if we're going to believe these graphs, which, why not? The government said it, so I'm going to believe it. Then what it's saying, then, is only 20% of people who accept AIDS therapy benefit from it in terms of having it not cause progression of their disease. This is, uh, this is pretty shocking. 20% <laughs> effectiveness rate is... Uh, not too impressive. I mean, most people would not take a 20% effectiveness rate when it comes to the reliability of their car or the reliability of their credit card or the reliability of the lights in their house or a lot of other things. But um, according to this graph, the AIDS drugs can be expected to be 20% effective in preventing the progression to AIDS. So again, that is uh, always subject to definition. So it can have progression, but well, it didn't, progression, didn't progress um, to AIDS. Again, these are the government's own numbers. I'm just copying this into the chat room so people in the chat room can see this. And so let's take a look at other uh, graph, again, provided by the, um, the, the CDC. Uh, actually, this one's by Business Insider. So how they got the graph, I don't know. What this shows is that in 1993, we know the definition of AIDS changed. And as soon as the definition of AIDS changed, 
the amount of HIV, the rate of increase, declined, leveled off, and then just started falling. Now, they mentioned that condom use kicked in. Condom use increased. We don't know by how much, but increased in uh, 1994. And so they're trying to explain that new HIV infections decline maybe because of, well, condom use. Now, we know that condoms have a, well, at least a 10% per year failure rate. So obviously, if you have sex with someone more than 10 times, then you're pretty much going to be exposed to whatever they have. So there's no way that condom use would substantially decrease HIV infections. In other words, once you understand the failure rate of condoms and once you understand the um, frequency of sex, so if a person uses a condom and they have sex, let's say, once a month or once a year, then yes, the condom use can be expected to be effective. But if a person has sex more than 10 times during the study period, call it a year, then we can't really expect that uh, the infections are not going to be transmitted. All right. Now here's something curious. Death from AIDS uh, starts to fall. So death from AIDS changed the definition in 1993, and death from AIDS uh, start to fall 10 years later. And so this uh, this could make sense because basically the people who were diagnosed uh, by the new definition, the old people who were diagnosed previously are still dying for 10 years. So they're they're pretty much done. And so basically you see the new infection rate plummet and then you see a parallel decline in the death rates. And so that makes a lot of sense, right? So you you redefine the disease, the death rate falls, and it keeps falling due to redefinition of the disease. But wait, we have AIDS drugs, right? So AIDS drugs started being available in 83 with with uh, AZT, the first uh, AIDS drugs. Now we have several. We have so many, they call it a drug cocktail, and many of them are given concurrently. And so you can just say, well, wait a minute. If they work so well, why do you need more than one? Again, good question. But what they point out is that antiretroviral drugs were given out. What does it mean, given out? That means the government subsidized the um, drugs and paid for them on behalf of the patients. But we don't notice as a result of the antiviral uh, drugs being given out, why were they ineffective when uh, people got them from their insurance company? You know what I mean? And it's, it's curious. Why should drugs be more effective when they're free? And as with medicine and many other things, when people are are given these things free, a lot of times they don't take it too serious. They don't take their drugs every day. Like, eh, forget it. Um, so the fact that the antiretroviral drugs are free, uh, again, what we would expect is the declines. We expect the decline rate to be more abrupt than the decline in new infections. So in other words, if the, drug, the disease is just as deadly as ever, then fewer people having the disease 
would naturally result in fewer people dying. There you go. Sounds good. Right. And so what we find, though, is the HIV infection rate falls at a certain slope, and the death rate falls right along with it, and so the antiretroviral drugs do not affect the deadliness of the disease. They don't cause that death slope to, to fall substantially. And this is pretty shocking when you take a look at um, what these drugs cost, that these drugs are um, financially, economically devastating. We won't even talk about the um, other devastation in terms of possible side effects or hastening of possible hastening of death. But this is very much like the situation we see with the um, blood pressure medications, where people who have hypertension and people who don't have hypertension, um, if you graph their death rates, you'll see there's a decline in the death rates of people with hypertension. Sounds good. But guess what? There's a decline in the death rate of people who do not have hypertension. And that decline parallels the line of the people who have hypertension. So in other words, the death rate of people with hypertension has not fallen to that of a healthy person without hypertension. And so even though the death rates are declining, they are declining because there's a third factor impacting the lives of hypertensives and non-hypertensive, and they both have a declining death rate. And so we see that here with AIDS, only we know what the external factor is. The external factor is the disease, the definition of the disease was changed. And therefore, uh, the death rate has fallen because the number of people who fit the definition of the disease has fallen. And because these two slopes are identical, we know that the decline in death rates among HIV people can be attributed totally to the change in definition and the fact that fewer people are diagnosed. And so in the United States, what this looks like is that death from HIV or AIDS, let's just say 1987, they counted 13,000, went all the way up to 40,000 in 1993 and 94, and then definition was changed, and boom, it plummeted down to 16,000. So these are actual dead people, not... um, standardized units like the other graph use. So the death from people who have AIDS has dropped to pretty close uh, what it was when the epidemic was first first, um, launched. And so the number of people dying from AIDS today, which is more or less uh, 12 to 14,000, is not substantially different from when the epidemic was first um, launched, if you will. And so what's happened then is 
there's no evidence that any fewer people are dying. The evidence is that they're being classified under different numbers, different categories, for different reasons of death. And so this is an interesting um, situation. Meanwhile, just by the way, the number of people diagnosed and living with AIDS is absolutely skyrocketing. What this means then is the number of people, well, first of all, the AIDS disease itself is simply less deadly. Uh, the um, diagnosis represents a condition that is not going to kill you anytime soon. So how long will it take to die of AIDS? Well, if you take a look at the global epidemic data, the World Health Organization, uh, another reliable source, their numbers from 2008, why they don't have anything more recent, I don't know, but that's okay. We'll take this. Um, is the number of people living with AIDS is 33.4. We'll take that number to be a million. The number of people dying from AIDS worldwide, worldwide now, is approximately 1 million. Right. So that means 3% of people with AIDS every year die. In other words, it will probably take you about... 30 years to die of AIDS, at least, if that. And so what we're looking at is a um, condition that's got a pretty long horizon here. And to give you a comparison, if you get a hospital-acquired infection, your chances of dying from that infection are at least 10%. And so... um, This is not the deadly disease it was represented to be. And so if you have a diagnosis of AIDS and you can expect to live uh, 30 years, you know, this is, this is not that, you know, it's not that big a deal. It ranks up there with a lot of other um, conditions that are pretty, uh, pretty harmless, like a, say a pimple. So in other words, if you're diagnosed with AIDS um, after the age of, say, 45, then you really can't expect it to shorten your life expectancy at all. When you're looking at 30 years, um, they'll take you, you know, 30 years, they'll take you up to 76 years old, and that's about as long as uh, any American male is going to live. And so we have here then a condition that there's no evidence it merits medical intervention. Again, especially when you think that at um, 880,000 deaths a year, which is what the medical industrial complex claimed, and that's a pretty low estimate. There are estimates out there much higher, and I reasonably believe they're they're very accurate. Um, So if 40% of Americans die of their medical therapy, then it makes no sense to seek medical intervention for a condition that is only fatal for 3% of people each year who have it. And when you combine that with the graph, the death graph, paralleling the diagnosis graph, then you see that the decline in death rate is due to the decline in diagnosis and the change in diagnostic criteria. 
This does not mean that the people uh, who were dying before are not dying. It just means they're counted as dying of something else. And this is something that's a serious integrity issue in the medical industrial complex. And so, for example, yes, polio is cured, but what? People are dying of meningitis, little children. Yes, polio is cured, but people, uh, kids are suffering from infantile uh, paralysis and seizures and other uh, brain-related issues. So a lot of times when the medical industrial complex needs to cure a disease, it simply renames it or redefines it. And so we have here at AIDS, we actually have an epidemic um, that is manufactured, and it is simply the figment of a uh, propaganda organization distributing information, defining a disease, and basically redefining it and convincing people to take a tremendous number of toxic and expensive medications over a concept or idea. So now all of you are saying, well, you know, Dr. Daniels, they have those those tests and these tests um, show that a person's HIV positive. And that's an interesting, uh, interesting concept. And um, the next question is, well, what are these tests? These tests, without exception, are antibody tests. In other words, they test for antibodies, they test for fragments of what scientists believe might be a part of the HIV virus. And so this is as if someone took uh, a piece of your fingernail, took a nail clipper and cut off your fingernail, and then took that fragment and said, you know what, this fragment is, let's say, um, Paul. And so we now have a piece of protein, the fingernail, which we say is Paul. And then we say, okay, this is an antigen. So now we're going to make an impression of that, make an impression of that, push it in a piece of clay. Let me just throw that fingernail away. And that clay is called a negative impression or an antibody. And so whenever we find anything that fits the shape of that impression or shadow, we're going to say that that means that Paul was there. Yes, Paul was there. And you might imagine this is pretty inaccurate, pretty inaccurate. Antibody tests for Lyme disease are accurate about 30% of the time. In other words, they're inaccurate over 60% of the time. Tests, antibody tests for strep are accurate at most 75% of the time. It means they're inaccurate 25% of the time. And so we have then a series of tests for the AIDS virus that are accurate at most 25% of the time because that's the limits or capability of accuracy of antibody tests. But wait, but wait, how do we know if someone has an antibody test, if the test is accurate or not? Well, if we're struck, we would check for the virus. And if we found the virus, then we'd say, aha, aha. The virus was found, the test was positive, therefore the person's infected. In AIDS, that's not the case. At no point do they ever isolate 
the virus in a patient diagnosed with AIDS. What do you do? Well, you make the diagnosis by committee. You do one AIDS test, another AIDS test, and there's three different AIDS tests on the market, and you just uh, say, well, geez, are the majority of them positive? Two out of three positive? Well, I guess he has AIDS, or better yet, you figure out what insurance a person has, and you do the test that your insurance pays for, and you accept the outcome of that test. You like that. And, an even better one for you, just scrap the test altogether. Do a survey. I don't fill out a questionnaire. And if they have enough yeses on the questionnaire, well, no, there you go. They have AIDS. So all of these methods have been uh, used worldwide to diagnose AIDS. And so what we have then is we have a disease that just like um, a speed limit or a seatbelt law or anything else, it's just simply made by committee. In other words, it is not made by nature. It is not an objective observation of people with certain sim- uh, symptoms and um, out- outcome of blood tests. For example, if you take a look at somebody who has... Lyme disease, um, their symptoms are actually the same, identical, to a person who has AIDS. So why is it one person is classified as Lyme, another person is classified as AIDS? Without getting too overwhelmed and bogged down in those details, what we can say is certainly the distinction is not scientific. And so this is what we have going on. If we have um, a political labeling system masquerading under cover of science and objectivity and evidence when actually there is no science, objectivity, or evidence. And so um, these, this ability to redefine AIDS just the way you redefine a speed limit uh, is, a, is an issue. And of course, this redefinition coincides with the decline in the death rate uh, and the increased use of AIDS drugs. If you take a look at the use of AIDS drugs and the death rate, there, there really is no um, association. So the death rate from AIDS declines. Well, first of all, it increases even though drugs are available and being used and then declines when the um, definition is changed. So What's a person to do? Well, first of all, if you are diagnosed as having AIDS, oh, by the way, this is my personal opinion, uh, definitely you're entitled to your opinion, and so you need to do whatever you think is right according to your religion, your opinion, and your beliefs. So this is not meant to be medical advice or to diagnose, cure, or treat any disease. Okay, so now that we've figured that out, um, the thing to do is first don't get diagnosed. For Christ's sake, don't take an AIDS test. Did you know, by the way, they don't even test blood for AIDS? If you donate blood, it is not tested for AIDS. Now, there's a red flag. If AIDS really were a communicable person-to-person contact disease transmitted by blood, don't you think? Don't you think they would check the blood for AIDS? Yeah, but they don't. Why? Because as one person at Love Bank told me, it would throw, throw away a lot of good blood. So 
the medical industrial complex itself doesn't even believe in the AIDS diagnosis. So if you have, first of all, don't get diagnosed. That's number one. Number two, should you use condoms? There's no evidence that condom use is going to in any way affect AIDS. Why? Again, let's look at the epidemiology. The transmission rate for AIDS is one in 3,000. So for, you have to have sex with an HIV-positive person 3,000 times before you contract AIDS. That's number one. Number two, the number of people in the United States who are HIV-positive is one in 254. So, duh, sexual transmission doesn't even account for 10% of all HIV cases. That's generously assuming that everyone with AIDS had sex with at least one other HIV-positive person. So 90% of AIDS cannot possibly be transmitted by sexual contact because the sexual transmission rate is less than 10% of the prevalence rate. There you go. So it's not a sexually transmitted disease, so don't worry about the condoms. Uh, Number one. Number two, what about the drugs? Don't worry about those either. Why? Because we have a graph that shows that the drugs have not decreased the death rate. The death rate, the decrease in death rate can be totally explained by the change in definition of the disease. And so we have literally a disease that has been legislated into existence and is now being legislated out of existence simply by changing the definition. And if they need a peak in the AIDS frequency, that can be created too. How? By, again, changing the definition of AIDS. That will cause an increase or uptick in the disease. So no need to use condoms at least not if AIDS is what you're worried about, and no need to take any drugs, at least if AIDS is not is what you're worried about. So we're just talking about AIDS. There might be other conditions for which these two precautions might make sense, but for AIDS, as it is now observed, measured, and experienced in the United States, there's every evidence that condom use is irrelevant, not helpful, and that taking drugs is irrelevant, not helpful. So what can you do? What can you do uh, if you have an AIDS, let's say the bad luck of having a positive AIDS test? The first thing to do is ask yourself, how do I feel? And if you feel fine, guess what? You are fine. Go on with your life. Ignore the test. Just continue as you are. But what if you don't feel great? What if you feel like lousy? Then you should address your lousiness directly. Um, by either cleaning up your diet or drinking more water or having more bowel movements, eating organic, uh, removing yourself from poisons and chemicals of any kind, whether it's personal care products, whether it's chemicals in the home or chemicals in your food. So that is the, the simple way to address any type of uh, AIDS diagnosis Hi. Okay, we answered a few questions. Let's go back and see. Um, 
more. So we have to check the recording to, for many of these answers. Okay, let's see. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.